Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I think that scares me the most of anything. Like telling somebody romantic or otherwise that I might be blind. There might be a day where I am using a cane and guide dogs that like I genuinely just can't see without a lot more intervention. I can't get around. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how comfortable I am with that. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. There we go. (laughs) Hi. Hi. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm in a robe. I was not anticipating (laughs) being on camera. Last year, I FaceTimed with a listener named Faye. We quickly changed to audio only. She's 27, Nigerian-American, and at the time, she was living with her family in Maryland. We talked when my book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, was first coming out, and we'd ask listeners about the hard conversations they were struggling to start. Faye had emailed the show about what she called her tricky sense of disability identity. Faye has a form of retinal dystrophy, which is a degenerative eye disease, but it's an invisible disability. And she said then she'd been struggling with how and when to talk about it with people. The hard conversation I keep attempting to figure out how to navigate would be related to my eyesight because I'm visually impaired. and just looking at me, you wouldn't be able to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that I have to kind of present or that it's noticed, but nobody really knows the word to use because most people think of the spectrum as you see <laughs> with glasses or not, or you don't see and you're completely blind. For the longest time, it really didn't even have to happen. Like a conversation never really had to happen. But as my eyesight has worsened over the years, I feel like the conversation presents itself more often than not. Would you describe to me, um, what's your eyesight like now? Sure. Okay. (laughs) It's really hard to like explain it, even though like I literally see out of these eyeballs every day. I know. Um, (laughs) I know. It's like, what is the color green? You know, it's like such a hard question. Right. Oh my God. That is the best way to put it. Yes. What is the color green is what you just asked me. But um, let me see. So, Right now, the easiest way I can put it is in my left eye, I can barely see anything in the sense that I can't like read text. Mm-hmm. I can really only see like shapes. Um, I'm pretty colorblind, like so I really only see in shades of you know gray. Um in the past about like two years now, I got like a blind spot, if you will. So if I, like, try and, like, put something right where my blind spot is, like, if you, let's say, hold a finger up right where my blind spot is, I literally don't know what it is. But I don't see black. The blind spot is, like, a blurry, like, configuration of something. Like, my brain is trying to force an image that's not there. There is no cure for Faye's disease, and early research into stem cell treatment is years away from being widely available. Eventually, Faye will probably lose her sight completely. Faye was first diagnosed with her condition when she was 12. 
As her sight gradually worsened, she's needed to use more assistive devices to get through her day, like a screen reader when she's using a computer, or a voice assist on Netflix, which narrates what's going on on the screen. But she prefers to use these in private. She doesn't really talk about them with people outside her family. When I'm describing my current eyesight, I play it down. So I'm like, you know, I'm pretty blind. (laughs) Obviously, I don't drive. But everything else I can kind of pretty much get around. But yeah, I pretty much walk around with blurred vision and just kind of clumsily navigate the world. But that's that's as specific as I get, really. Um, Why do you think, this is a big question. um, Sure. (laughs) Why is it hard for you to talk about what's going on with your eyesight, with people in your life? I think it's that I feel like there's not enough um, curiosity on the other end. Like, I think maybe because people think I would be uncomfortable to share. Well, where I'm uncomfortable is if I don't think you want to know more, I want to hear more, or it makes you uncomfortable, like having to take on the, what I perceive to be like a burden of comforting me, then I close off. But for me, I also don't know how to bring it up because I don't know if they want to hear all of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Is there anyone in your life who, when when you noticed that your eyesight was getting worse, mm. um, that you could turn to and just say, I need to tell you what's going on with my eyesight? Um, yeah, so... I will say most of the time it's so gradual that I kind of don't notice. But there was a time, I would say like a couple of years ago, where I felt like a shift. Like it felt like, okay, I woke, I slept last night and I woke up this morning and I feel like something really changed. Hmm. Um, and when that happened, I told my family, um, I made an appointment. I told them because they're, one of them was going to have to give me a ride. <laughs> so I was like, hey guys, this is what's going on. But all I said is I think it got worse, but I I wasn't really forthcoming with how much it really was getting to me. Um, Then it was, I would say, probably after the appointment, when that reality set in, definitely um, was much more emotional outwardly. And the two people that I shared that outward emotion with were my dad and my brother, um I've never cried to this day about it except one time and that was in front of my dad and since then we really haven't like really broached it again because I just kind of picked myself back up and kept it moving but my brother I will say I have emotional emotive conversations about it with him regularly one because he is curious like he asks like tell me how you're feeling and he like gives me feedback that feels very genuine um not like he was not anything that's like trying to just make me feel better or soothe me like it just it just feels so natural have you ever had a conversation about your eyesight where you can remember someone uh asking you questions beyond what you were comfortable talking about that they were so curious that you actually realized you were beginning to feel uncomfortable going into detail? Um, I would say maybe my mom is the one that comes to mind in the sense that 
it's not that she's asking questions. It's that she's making comments or assessments about what I should be seeing or feeling. It's a lot harder for her to get used to my eyesight change than I think anybody else in my family. Like if I like, let's say draw something and I pick it up pretty easily, she's like, there you go, you can see. And I'm like, no, I just happened to like touch right where it was. <laughs> I got lucky that time. But at least with her family, they know the basic facts. When Faye is meeting someone new, she feels a different sort of frustration, especially when it comes to dating. When we first spoke, Faye had just started seeing someone she liked, and she said she wasn't sure how direct to be with him about her vision. In talking to him, it did come up. I was like, it's gotten worse over the years, probably in the last few years or so. Um, and then there's a chance it'll get worse in the future. But I never say that definitively, but that's because I never have. I still, I still feel uncomfortable with that idea. Um, does it feel uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable to say that you might be blind, just to think about yeah. that reality for yourself? Or is it about how they might react? Um, probably both. Mm -hmm. I think... Um, more so how they would react. I'm curious um, if you all ever get to the Netflix and chill stage of the relationship, mm -hmm. do, do you think you'll turn on voice assist? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I'll be honest. I will miss things in the show and just annoy him and ask like, oh, what did what happened there? Like I missed that. I'd rather do that than turn on voice. It's. I hear you saying two things. I hear you saying, yeah. um, "I don't talk about my eyesight and what's going on because I find that people aren't curious mm -hmm. when I do mention it." And then I mm -hmm. also hear you saying, "I try to keep it a secret mm -hmm. that I need help." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really. I really don't think I'm ashamed of it. Like, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. Otherwise, I, I probably wouldn't be talking to you, like, sending in that email. I think maybe that was me telling myself, no, I'm not ashamed. It's fine. Like, this is, it is what it is. This is, like, my reality. This is the life I live. Um, I think it's that I'm always worried that, not that they're going to judge me, I think, any less of me, but they're going to, like, Hmm. I don't know what I'm so worried about. I genuinely don't. I I don't know. Yeah. Um. Maybe it's just that it's you're changing. You've changed, and you're not sure how mm -hmm. to when and how to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what that that definitely is a big part of it. It's like I'm I'm still myself trying to get used to my reality in, you know, the world as we used to know it with my new eyesight. Does part of you just want to see where it goes romantically before you fully disclose what's going on with your eyesight? <laughs> okay, yes. I think that's so accurate. It's probably because I want to make sure that he's somebody that I'm even that into or that is going to be around like six months from now anyway before opening up that can of worms, you know what I mean? Like, even if I go super in-depth, this won't be the reason why he's uncomfortable or pulls back. I want to know that 
I'm safe enough in our connection that I can share with him. And, you know, we can move forward romantically from there. Does that make sense? It sounds like you're afraid if you tell him he'll reject you because of your eyesight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an element of fear of rejection for it. Like, the thing is, I'm very comfortable with re rejection generally, like, just in the sense <laughs> that, like, I, like, you know, like, you know I've, I've definitely been a girl that has shot her shot. I'm not like, I don't typically do it, but I've done it, you know, here and there. Rejection doesn't really, like, break me to my core, right? But the idea that this would be something to reject me for would would basically illuminate all the fears I have about it. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, personally, I'm not ashamed of it. Or I don't think any less of myself because of it. But I'm worried that others would look at me differently because of it. So I just want to make sure I'm clear about mm -hmm. your, uh, the next time you see mm. this guy you went on a date with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is your plan to try to have a conversation about this or to wait? Um, I don't know. I don't think that I will actively be looking to because I, like the last time we went on a date, I, I think I was looking for the end. Like, where can I bring it up? Like, how do I say it now? Um, this next time, I don't think so. I, Because I, now I feel like, I don't think it's fair, but I feel like I want the ball to be in his court and bringing it up again. Like, I won't, I won't be the one to try and make a conversation happen. I want him to be the one to... I don't think it's fair, though, right? <laughs> I don't think I'm asking you, but, like, I don't know. I actually don't know if it's fair for me to put that on him because... How is he supposed to know that I want to talk about it or I would be open to talking about it? Yeah, um, he probably doesn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you might not even know there's more to know or more to ask about, right? I don't know. This is really the first time I'm engaging with somebody that I, there's like a mutual interest between us two and that my eyesight is something that I think needs to be on the table in order to feel secure and safe. I checked back in with Faye about eight months after our first conversation, and she told me there had been a lot of changes in her life. The guy, he's no more. <laughs> so that's a thing. Faye also told me she'd started a new job and had told them she sometimes required some accommodations and she was preparing to move out of her parents' house, which we talk about after the break. Right now where I'm, I am at home, there's usually always somebody, but now there won't be like 24 seven somebody kind of always just being around, um, which will be fine. Like I'm actually okay with that. Like I think that was a huge part of moving. It's just wanting this challenge, but still having a little bit of a bridge Last week, we asked you to tell us if you're currently thinking about estranging yourself from someone in your life, like a close family member or a friend, and your stories are flooding our inbox. 
Right now I'm at a place where the person I've been estranged from, my mother, is reaching out to reconnect. Uh, estrangement was her idea. And eventually they all stopped talking to me. I would see Facebook photos of them having brunch or barbecue. I am becoming estranged from one of my two brothers. All three of us are gay, so you would think that is the makings of a wonderful and fabulous sitcom, but we have very, very toxic relationships with one another. Thank you so much for sending in your stories. And we know that being estranged from biological family can be painful in its own particular way. But we also want to hear from you if you're becoming estranged from any chosen family, like an online community or a political group that is no longer working for you, what made you start thinking differently? And how are you thinking about the process of leaving those relationships? Record a voice memo and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. On the next episode, I go on a walk with author and researcher Britt Ray. Her new book is about how the climate crisis affects our mental health, from detachment to overwhelming dread. And we also talk about our own climate anxiety, and specifically how she grappled with the question of whether to have a baby. When boiling it all down, the decision to not have a child felt like a commitment to fear. And then on the flip side, deciding to have a child felt like a commitment to joy. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Faye told me that her flirtation with that guy she liked sort of just petered out, and then she ended it. She was left unsure about whether her disability had been a factor or not. But when we talked at the beginning of 2022, Faye said she'd been practicing being more open about her eyesight. She'd started a new job in market research and had been transparent about her disability with her new coworkers. And she told me she was planning to move out of her parents' house and into an apartment with her brother. Because of living on my own, I'm just not going to have the safety net I'm accustomed to. Like, I'm going to have to ask maybe, like, a stranger at the elevator, um, like, hey, did I click the right button type of thing? Whereas if I'm in an elevator with a family member, they would just say, oh, hey, you, you clicked the wrong button. If I was going into an elevator with a wheelchair, somebody might just naturally have instincts to see how they could help. Mm-hmm. But if they're looking at me, they have no idea. I don't use a cane or anything like that. So not only are they not going to have instincts to ask, they're also, when I do ask, they're going to be confused. And a lot of times I don't want to be like, well, I'm visually impaired because that always, nine times out of 10 opens up a can of worms. Like if I, like I've had like encounters at like the wax ladies, <laughs> like, hey, I might need to hold your hand to get to the room, like hold the back of your wrist. And then while I'm in the middle of a wax session, I'm being asked, <laughs> like, you know, like, how long have you had issues with your ear? Like, you know, a, like a, a waxing, like a, a, a bikini wax. A bikini wax. Oh, Lord. Yeah. You don't want to talk ever during that. And you certainly don't want to talk about (laughs) (laughs) Do you have anyone who you can talk about what that has been like to go through who can tell you how they figured out when and how to ask for help? Um, no, not anyone in my immediate life. I can say I have, like, an influencer 
that I turn to that I'm like, oh, she fits my vibe. But then she doesn't in so many other ways. Her name is Molly Burke. She also had a degenerative eye disease. But at this point, she's like way um, further along than I am. Um, something else that we diverge in is that like I I'm a black woman. <laughs> so like um, I have that additional minority element compounded on top of like my disability and being a woman. Um, and of course, like, I don't expect her to necessarily be able to speak to that. But yeah, like, for the most part, I'm able to look to her to be like, put words to my, to certain things I've never known how to explain to others. I'm like, oh, wow, she's explaining it for me. <laughs> I just found, um, I was looking at Molly Burke, and I was like, is there a Nigerian-American blind person who would be interesting for you to see how they talk about yeah. their life. And I found, um, I don't know very much about her. She she performs under the name Lachi, L-A-C-H-I. Have you heard of her? L-A-C-H-I, no. Yeah, I would love to look into her. Um, did you just type in Nigerian American? <laughs> I did, Nigerian American blind, to see what I could find. Uh, uh, let's ooh, see. Okay. okay, here's a, I'm just going to quote from this yourweb.com article they ask her as a woman of african descent living in america one who is also blind dealing with duality appears to be something that comes naturally to you is that so and lachi says duality is a great term and it's actually the title to one of my songs that did really well oh amazing duality is the word that is the key i definitely live with a bunch of duality um in so many respects do you want to hear a little bit of that song i just found the youtube video Ooh, for okay. it. Let's listen Let's to it together. Okay, now we have to go to the club and we have to ask for that song. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's so not what I was expecting. Hi, what is up? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Same here. So, Faye, this is Lachi. Am mm -hmm. I pronouncing that correctly, Lachi? Lachi like Versace, girl. Oh, love it. <laughs> Still trying to get that brand endorsement, but it didn't catch on yet. So, hello, hello. I don't have a designer that sounds like <laughs> We got Lachi on a Zoom with Faye and me a few months after we'd found her on YouTube so they could talk together. Like Faye's, Lachi's eye condition is degenerative, and she also grew up in a family where she couldn't always talk openly about her disability. Lachi is in her 30s now and is based in New York. She's an EDM singer and composer and a disability advocate. For a time, she told Faye and me she had a day job working for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, but music kept pulling at her. I just was sitting at the desk, and I just did not belong there. And, you know, I was humming and singing, like, really loud at my desk, apparently, all the time, until finally somebody stopped me and was like, girl, do you realize you're just literally bolting at your desk? Eventually, she quit her job and landed a record deal with EMI. But that deal didn't last long. And so anyway, I had kind of was like a traumatic experience where I was like, I'm never going to talk about my blindness ever again. 
And I was like, I want to put the music first. I want to put the music first and put the music first. And then, so I got really good at what I did and just made sure that I was getting clients based on the music. And eventually I got to a point where I was being sought after and I was excited. I was talented. I was getting um, compliments and I learned how to feel confident in myself. And eventually I started to allow myself to unfold that self. And so that allowed me to start kind of talking to other um, blind folks and saying, hey, I am blind, you know, I'm legally blind. And then I started performing at sort of blind inclusion and disability inclusion places here and there. And then as that unfolded, I started noticing that I was the only black person on these panels. So I started talking about my blackness too, cause ain't nobody had heard it yet. So I am now sort of like this woman blind, you know, singer that that's black that runs around and makes sure everyone knows that I exist. You mentioned that like, you know, there was a time where you you were within yourself and you weren't really loud and proud if you will. And like you were trying to find yourself. I want to know how much of that you think is because you're African. Cause I know mm-hmm. being black. Yes. That's the thing. Being a woman, of course, all of that is part of the pot, but mm-hmm. how much do you think of it is your African, um, Ness, my Africanness, yes. <laughs> I mean, they, they do all overcross, right? Because, you know, there's one thing to be African and then it's another thing to be African woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they do intermingle. And yes, I think it did play a part. So I came from a large family of seven to African to Africans that ain't really that large. Um, <laughs> but I was the sixth of seven. So I was very stay in your lane, seen, not heard kind of thing. And because I was born with a disability, I was always kind of dragged around by my mother. I'm not going to say I was coddled, but I was expected to be, I was just very quiet. I was just very shy. And it still stays there. Um, That fear of always wanting to be the best, but then at the same time, wanting to be humble. Yeah. Like that intermix of that. Um, it is something that's amplified being a woman and amplified being Nigerian. I mean, the reason I ask is because I think that being Nigerian is a lot of the sauce for me in the sense that, like, in terms of maybe not being so forthcoming and, like, sharing everything, like, you're taught from mm-hmm. a very young age, at least in my situation, like, you, mm-hmm. you just don't have to share everything. Like, yeah. Yeah. not yeah. everything is for everybody to know. and mm-hmm. they included in that is my disability. It's like, I don't want to speak for any other groups. I'll just speak for myself. But yeah, as a Nigerian, I feel like I'm, I have this sense of be private, be keep a little more close to your chest. Like, I feel like we treat disability, especially as like this weird elephant in the room mm-hmm. all the time, even if it's somebody who is very um, obviously disabled. I feel like we never just talk about it like it's a norm it's like always yes. this weird aura around it. taboo taboo yes right that's yeah the word. so I feel like especially when it's now invisible it's like then why share it if you don't mm-hmm. have to and right. I'm like well then that's just so antithetical to like what usually would make someone feel comfortable because when everybody around you knows then you can be more of yourself and let go and not feel like you're protecting a secret or something well it goes it goes a further step than that it allows you to advocate for yourself But one of the things that I use for my advantage is the fact that people think it's taboo and different and weird. 
at this point, if I go to a family reunion, everybody knows I'm like, I just show up with the cane. I'm just like, yo, what? Um, and so I feel that a lot of times just stepping into it and being loud and proud about it, or at the very least using it, you know, as your handshake does actually uh, take all of that pressure, not only just off you, but off everybody else. You know, a lot of people are afraid to approach it. A lot of people, they may see you standing by your phone and holding it two inches to your face. And they're like, uh, what's that about? But if they, <laughs> if they already know, then it's just a norm. They don't have to feel weird about it. There's one more area I want to cover together with you two, if it's okay. And um, Lachi, you tell me if, if you're not comfortable talking about this. But one thing Faye and I have talked about is romance and dating and when to disclose when you're seeing someone new and how to and whether to. Um, how have you thought about that? So I'm in a, a pretty committed relationship. But I think the discussions, the discussions that I've had have been with, you know, whether or not to disclose on a dating app. I think personally that if you use a, a, some sort of adaptive situation or something like that, I don't see a problem in disclosing it. Because at the end of the day, if you, if you don't tell someone you're a wheelchair user and then they find out that you are, the fact that you're in a wheelchair may not be what turns them off but the fact that you were not upfront about it may be what turns them off. I mean, I know, and there's obviously, there's definitely having to navigate who's like, who might be interested because, but I've really never been a proponent of dating apps and I'm already like clumsy with like disclosure. And then it's also like the moment of, again, I could get by without someone really knowing. Yeah. Especially if yeah. I meet them in person. Right. Like I could have a whole night with them. We were at this party, like they have no idea. And then it's like, oh, like, so do you want to meet up for a date? And then I'm like, I don't drive. And then it, that's how it usually comes up. So I, I believe that as your vision gets, um, as your, you know, vision transitions, you will be able to um, express it better. But I think that you should start working on it now that a good a good thing maybe that you could consider doing is letting them know early in the date as a side comment so let's say you're on edit date maybe the two of you are whipping out menus oh i'm legally blind so you know i'm gonna go ahead and zoom in girl <laughs> and so um you know you could keep it light and it doesn't have to be this whole big thing so that when it's like let's go on a second date oh i'll pick you up as opposed to, oh, shit, you can't drive? How you can't drive? Oh, you can't see? How you can't see? Um, but it, it'll help you be able to, like, dispel stuff right at the top. And quite frankly, if homeboy can't ha handle it, you'd be like, well, I see how to get this check, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I think once you start sculpting how it's your narrative, um, it'll be less clumsy and you'll be less sort of afraid. But I think also it is, it is, it is really, really um, important and imperative, honestly, that you honor those thoughts. Because, you know, I'll come in here and say, nah, girl, who cares, girl, just be yourself. But really, at the end of the day, we're all going to feel some type of way when stuff don't work no more. And you, you're, you're allowed to have those feelings. They're natural. They're real. You should honor them. You are a confident person, actually. And you you may not know it, but you actually are. Because I, I, I speak to people that aren't confident about their situation as it pertains to losing their eyesight. And you're definitely on the confidence side. 
So I would like like to tell you that you are going to be fine Mm -hmm. because you can adapt. You are already confident in yourself. And as long as you just keep walking that path, you're going to be fine. Like just just point blank period. You're going to be fine. (laughs) That means a lot coming from you because I'm like, this is a very confident Nigerian black disabled woman and like that's what I want to emulate. So thank you. Takes one to know one out here, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was singer Lachi and our listener Faye. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Afi Duke and Katie Bishop. The rest of our team includes Emily Botin, Zoe Azule, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Gabriella Santana. The Reverend John Delure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at AnnaSalePicks, P-I-C-S. And the show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Andrea Ardans in Corvallis, Oregon, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Andrea and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. Faye wanted to know a little bit more about Lachi's love life, including if her partner also has a disability. Lachi is with someone who's neurodivergent, but she told Faye to cast a wide net when it comes to dating. Date who you want to date. Date who you like. Who, who, who makes your jimmies wet? Jimmy's Jimmy. Who, yeah, who makes you, who gives you that wop? Yeah. You know, date. Who, <laughs> okay, go ahead. Y'all can edit that out. We're keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. 